Welcome to the weekly edition of ESG Now. I'm your host, Mike DeCebedo, and this week I'm joined by Megan Eastman to discuss the 23 new sexual harassment lawsuits filed against McDonald's. And then Rick Marshall and Matt Muscardi join us to discuss the CEO of Overstock, Richard Byrne, selling 900000 of his founder's shares, which accounted for more than 15% of his stake in the company. Thanks so much for joining us, and stay tuned. On Tuesday, the Time's Up Legal Defense Fund, which is the legal muscle of the Me Too movement, teamed up with American Civil Liberties Union and the labor group Fight for 15 to file 23 new complaints against McDonald's, 20 of which were sent to Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, three filed the civil rights lawsuits, and two suits stemmed from previous allegations. And to kind of lay the foundation. So individuals alleging sexual harassment, they file the charge with the EEOC, which is a federal agency responsible for enforcing the critical employment discrimination laws, such as Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. That's where most of these harassment cases come. But what makes the situation different is how involved the labor movement is in bringing litigation. Megan, could you walk me through these cases? Sure. So In some ways, this isn't actually new. I think we've known, certainly the EEOC has known for a long time that a lot, probably the majority of sexual harassment cases that actually happen are among lower wage workers, especially in retail, especially in food service and hospitality, where you've got a lot of women doing the work and they're in these positions where they've got to serve the customer, they've got to uh, do what the boss says and don't have a lot of other options. So even though a lot of the media coverage over the last couple of years with Me Too has been around higher profile cases and women often in a higher level position, certainly men in higher level positions, day to day, so much of it, what it actually happens to women, the women who are subject to an awful lot of this are people like these women who work at McDonald's and who are housekeepers in hotels and so on. So I find it quite interesting to see not only that Time's Up is tackling this, but that the ACLU and then additionally the, the Fight for 15 folks have gotten involved because, like you said, that really brings it from being just a gender issue to being a labor rights issue, which I think is super interesting. And I also think might mean that it could get some more traction in these kinds of lower wage jobs. We've seen yeah, the Fight yeah. for 15 be quite successful around minimum wage after all. Yeah, and according to the Center for American Progress, 15% of the sexual harassment charges are filed in the accommodation and food services industries. And they also noted that, disturbingly, once someone spoke up about harassment, their hours were cut, which is really painful for people in the accommodation food services industry. And it and it's also a classic whistleblower retaliation technique, and yet happens all the time. We see this in our own ESG controversies data too, where we're combing through the news to pick up cases. So something gets filed with the EEOC, and there's a press release or a news article. We pick that up, but also other kinds of lawsuits and allegations. And yeah, that retaliation piece is a really common feature, you know, at all levels uh, of jobs, and it is illegal which tends to give the complainants, at least if they can prove that they were retaliated against, it gives them a a pretty solid legal case. 
Oh, it's, it's interesting you say that because these cases of harassment are happening at McDonald's franchise stores. They're not happening at the McDonald's headquarters. And so these cases also have to do with with the franchisees issue at McDonald's. This is this is actually if we want to get into the deep legal differences between a lot of these fights and the fight with McDonald's is that McDonald's is saying we do not have control over the franchisees and how they act in our stores. And what the ACLU is saying that is ridiculous. You control how much sauce is put on your burgers with a machine. You can't say this is not a labor issue. You can't say you don't have control over these employees. And it makes me wonder how these cases will play out in terms of how they'll affect labor management and labor rights going forward. I think there's potential here for this to become a new rallying cry for labor organization and to get women into unions. Happen, yeah. I don't know, but if you think of it as building on the wage fight, which has really been quite successful here in the U.S., not everywhere, but in, in many municipalities and states and at many companies, if that energy were to be turned to gender equality and fighting harassment, it could really change the picture, I think. Now to another story, and it has to do with Overstock CEO Patrick Byrne, who lashed out on Friday at investors who questioned his recent sale of shares, saying he had to supplement his uh, $100,000 a year income. Rick, before we get into the case specifics, could you give us the Overstock company history? Because Overstock and Byrne have quite the history, don't they? This whole story is uh, a few clowns short of a circus. I mean, this, this, is, um, this is not a, a recent IPO. This is a company that's been around since, I think the IPO was 2002, so this is a company that's been around for a while. And it's been through a whole series of controversial decisions related back to the will of the, of the uh, founder and controlling share, shareholder. Um, at one point, Overstock.com was going to revolutionized the online auction business, and it, it went heavily into online auctions. This also failed and was, you know, retracted. There was, a, again, a shift. Uh, we've seen this repeatedly with this, uh, with this you know, this, this whole Bitcoin um, piece. I, I have heard, um, I've lo- not looked into this in close detail, but I've heard that there are plans afoot to actually sell off the retail part of the company, the, the part of the company that we really think of as Overstock.com, sell that off completely and just be a Bitcoin business. The, the T0 part of the business would be remaining, which really puts a different kind of spin on this whole stock sale that we've seen. All right, thanks. Matt, bring us up to present day. So, so... I, I like the story mostly because it's like you'd think overstock.com was, you know, like a, like a Jeff Bezos style, you know, techie Silicon Valley ish startup, but it's, it's actually, you know, a, you know, I live like a, you know, off the grid in the mountains libertarian who started a re- online retailer that accepts Bitcoin who is on record as saying when the zombie apocalypse happens, Bitcoin will be, <laughs> will save us. Right. Like, um, 
you don't get a lot of characters like that in, you know, like in, in corporate news. And I, I love his justification for having to sell the shares. Cause this is the second time he sold shares in like eight months. He sold, sold 20 million of shares in the fall of 2018. And now he's selling another, you know, X million. I think he sold 900,000 shares and, and roughly at like nine, $10 a share. So he's not like selling a small amount here. They're the founder shares he's selling. So he's selling out like his ownership stake. And that always raises an investor red flag. But the reason why he said he's doing it, um, he wanted to invest in these Bitcoin or um, crypto ventures simultaneously with, and this is my favorite part, covering his charitable pledges. Yeah, who doesn't have vague commitments? I, I well, here's the, and that, this to me is like the amazing irony is as, CEO pay is on the rise everywhere in the universe. This guy voluntarily set his um, pay exceptionally low. Yeah, and he's the controlling shareholder of the company. If he wanted to pay himself more, all he has to do is make it happen. The board is basically in his pocket too, right? They're not an independent board. A, 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 a large percentage of the board have been with him for a very long time and are clearly committed to supporting him as the founder. Um, so yes, but you know, th but the important thing there really is that is that this is the CEO of a publicly traded company. Publicly traded companies are glass houses, and if right. you if you right. drink if you drink from the public trough, then you have to accept the the standards that all public CEOs face. And the reality is that you're going to get questions from investors and you're going to be scrutinized. And if you sell your shares in the company, people want to know why. That's it for the week. I'm your host, Mike DiCibato. I'd like to thank Megan Eastman, Matt Muscardi, and Rick Marshall sitting down with me to discuss the news with an ESG twist. And thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, or if you didn't like what you heard, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe. It really helps us out. See you next week, and have a good one. I think it was something like... When when zombies walk the earth, Bitcoin will save us. Yeah, that was something like that. Yeah, um, so. which presumes a lot, right? You gotta like, <laughs> there's a when zombies, there's not an if, zombies, right? Yeah. And then, and then you're, so you're making one leap, and then immediately leaping to, the savior is a cryptocurrency. It's not, like how. I'd watch I'd that watch, movie. I I, like, you know, if, if I'm the Wired interviewer, I'm sitting there being like. Let's unpack this for the next six days. <laughs> How? Where do I start? I just think it's amazing. I think he's amazing. The MSCI ESG Research Podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. 
and this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to and or received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or a promotion or recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.